Hello and wow, 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 wow. What a week we have had. And you've joined us here after all of it, listening along on Spotify and looking at us through the screen on YouTube. What a, what a thing. I'm loving this. So let's catch up and talk everything here for another episode of the Bad Fan Podcast. We're so glad you're here. I'm Cole Carter. And let's let's get them in. These are my boys. You know them well now. Stephen Curl and Brandon Pacenick. Boys, this is episode number seven in our weekly line of podcast. And we're going to get you guys caught up on everything from the past couple of days in sports, including the madness that has begun in March, the NCAA tournaments, and this week's results in the Champions League round of 16. More huge ner- huge news in the world of free agency, both in the NFL and Major League Baseball. But before we jump into all of that, boys, let's catch up. Steve, how's your world? Oh, it's just fantastic. The lockout's over. I've been compiling all my data, beginning my huge nosedive into the fantasy baseball realm of the MLB season coming up. So I'm getting really excited for that. Um, But I've been good. Let's go. Brandon, how are you? Good. Um, I feel like I say this every week, but the sports just keep accumulating and accumulating and just getting better and more crazy. And I'm loving every second of it. And it's hard to keep up. It really is. It is, and it definitely is piloting up, which is a good segue point to our first thing, catching the big headlines from the past week. We're going to jump in first with some Major League Baseball moves. Um, over the week, uh, Chris Bryant, I think, made one of the bigger splashes. He inked a deal with a team that might surprise a couple of people. Um, he signed a seven-year deal, $182 million contract with the Colorado Rockies, replacing the Platinum Glove winner, who is well-loved in Colorado until his trade, Nolan Arenado who for years was a staple in Denver for the Rockies. Um, elsewhere in Major League Baseball, um, we saw the Toronto Blue Jays make a big move in an important swap with the Oakland Athletics, moving all-star Matt Chapman north of the border to the six. Um, lastly, notable faces in new places was the trade involving the Reds and Mariners as Seattle, Seattle, Seattle acquired all-star outfielder Jesse Winker and third baseman Eugenio Suarez in exchange for a handful of players with the additions that they made earlier in the offseason, like Corey Seager, this Seattle team might be looking to gear up for their first playoff appearance since 2001. And lastly, happening today when we recorded this on St. Patrick's Day was a move that uh, apparently came as no surprise to Aaron Rodgers, um, that the shipping off of NFL star Devontae Adams to the recently freshly minted Las Vegas Raiders in exchange for the Raiders 2022 first and second round picks. Immediately following the trade, Adams gave his intent to stay in Vegas, signing a five-year, $141 million deal. But beyond all that, the thing that we cared about the most, the most notable deal of all, is the Freddie Freeman deal going to Los Angeles Dodgers, which I'm going to tear up a bit thinking about it. But he signed a six-year $162 $162 million contract to return home to Southern California. And the deal has brought officially an end to his tenure in Atlanta, a divisive end now that we talk about it. And he'll slot into what is undoubtedly the strongest lineup in Major League Baseball now, which in itself holds three MVP winners. So think about Freddie Freeman, Cody Bellinger, Mookie Betts, and don't forget he can't hit anymore, but Clayton Kershaw, the fourth MVP that has it to his name, so the addition of Freddie Freeman is just outrageous at this point. It's just surplus to the rich get richer. Steve, get us started, man. What's your instant reaction to this Freddie Freeman deal? Uh, yes, I believe um, 
think maybe actually the last episode I was on um, talked about I wanted the lockout to end so I could just know that Freddie Freeman's not going to be a Brave. So I think if you thought he was going to resign, it definitely hit this point in the negotiations where you kind of knew that he wasn't. Um, so it comes to no surprise, and the Braves getting Matt Olson from Oakland makes it a lot less of a sour taste in my mouth personally. Um, trading for Olson and getting that extension for him, um, yeah, it's sad. You know, it's it's the logical point um, in baseball. If you take your heart out of it, it didn't really make sense um, to keep Freddie on the money that he was asking for. Did he deserve it? Yes. Would I love to see him here? Yes, but it was kind of we all knew he was going to leave, go to L.A. But I will say this, something that I was curious on, the market for Freddie, uh, towards the end, Tampa Bay was one of the lead contenders to sign Freddie Freeman. Um, and Freddie Freeman actually left money on the table from Tampa Bay, took less money, um, and went to L.A., offered the same amount of years on the contract. Um, he signed a $162 million deal, but... A lot of that, I think like $14 million is going away to income tax. And if you would have signed his six-year, I believe Tampa Bay offered $150 million. I mean, he left money on the table to one of the most successful teams in baseball since 2008. More successful than LA um, <laughs> in that time period. Granted, the World Series in a weird COVID year. but Not a real World Series. Yeah, so I think that kind of <laughs> struck me. Um, Tampa Bay being laid in there in the push was, was really exciting. Um, and me, I'm also... Tampa Bay Rays are my American League team. It kind of would have been the best of both worlds uh, given the situation. But uh, he joins L.A., big part of that lineup. It's a scary lineup. Um, but, yeah, I can't wait for L.A. to be chose to win it all and not do it. So <laughs> They're the easy favorites. But, Brandon, what are your thoughts on this whole Freddie Freeman ordeal? Yeah, I think it was written on the wall as, as just kept dragging out and dragging out. Um, if anybody thought he was going to go anywhere else, I, I don't know. It just didn't, it, I, I just couldn't see him going anywhere else. It just made the most sense. Like I said, his last big move, his family, his wife probably wants to be out there, you know, the beautiful weather. Like it just, it just all makes sense. And this might be the best baseball roster we've ever seen. Who knows? Um, so there might be a lot, a lot of more, tro a lot more trophies in his future, and I'm sure that's something that went into his mindset. Um, but yeah, a lot of those other deals you mentioned earlier, not Freddie Freeman, but um, like Chris Bryant and stuff, those are some weird deals too, um, which Steve will get to in another episode. But yeah, this Freddie Freeman, Fre Freddie Freeman one, it's emotionally sucks, um, but we all like the guy and hope. I guess we hope he has a good rest of his career. Well, this brings me to my question. <laughs> tell me, tell me, tell me. Hypothetically, if you were to be there, uh, I think it's Friday, June 24th. The Dodgers are coming to town. Freddie will receive his World Series ring. But he comes up to the plate, his first at-bat in Dodger Blue at Truist Park in Atlanta. What are you doing when he comes to the plate? Are you booing? Are you cheering? Are you crying? What's happening? Oh, it's, it's all cheers. It's all cheers. I'm throwing a beer at somebody that boos. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's got to be all cheers. You might have a couple of misguided Braves fans saying, oh, why didn't he stay? Um, that don't really understand the ins and outs of baseball. Uh, but should be nothing but a warm, uh, warm reception for Freddie. 
I ask for forgiveness when I post on Instagram, but he'll get the cheers early on. But as time goes on and he comes in Dodger blue, I won't be surprised if those boos start coming from me. Yeah. I'm just saying. I think we're going to see them in the, in the postseason a lot more in the next couple yeah. of years. So yeah. um, we'll have some more run-ins with Freddie. It'll, um, it'll all fans. wear off, and we'll, uh, those boos will certainly be raining down anytime those Dodgers come to town. Yeah. Um, aside from Freddie Freeman, aside from the baseball news, I don't know if you guys realize this, but it's March. Um, we just celebrated St. Patrick's Day yesterday, as you're watching or listening to us now. But basketball is in full swing. The NCAA tournament is happening. And if you've been paying any attention, if you've been under a rock, I'm sorry, you've been missing some awesome games so far. <laughs> uh, but potentially one of the biggest upsets in the tournament's history. You know, Arguably, you had the 16 seed finally beating a 1 seed with Virginia the other year. But 15-seeded St. Peter's Peacocks defeated one of college basketball's historically great teams in the two-seeded Kentucky Wildcats. This game was a thriller. It took to overtime to settle this affair. And the Wildcats looked domestic against a hungry Peacocks team that came ready to play, which unseated them from the tournament. Kentucky's gone. The Peacocks move on. But it started to make me think, what NCAA tournament game sticks out to you guys as a classic in your mind? For me, I immediately think, I think it was 2015, our favorite school that we attended, Georgia State. I'm seeing RJ Hunter in front of his dad, draining that winner against Baylor to send them to the next round. That thing sticks out in my mind. For the rest of my life, it will. What about mm -hmm. you guys? For me, um, there's a couple of crazy upsets that we've seen. Uh, but Mercer versus Duke in 2014, I was actually, I was talking about this the other day uh, with a friend, but I was in my high school cafeteria and they had a, um, a projector screen. And so we were, we we're all watching it as it, as it unfolded. And it was, it was awesome. I won't forget that. So that's probably the one that sticks in my mind the most. Steve, you ever watch basketball? <laughs> I was just getting ready to say, <laughs> I'm not the biggest college basketball guy, but I will contribute here. Um, was it the championship game? Was it Villanova and yeah. UNC where they literally hit, I think, like back-to-back -back threes to end the game? Uh, it was like one to do the lead change and – who was a Villanova or UNC? This is where I need to rely Villanova on you guys. Villanova hit the three-point to win the championship on a Yes, right after North Carolina had hit one. It was, I, I mean, <laughs> even me, basketball snaps. <laughs> no, but even though, it was, it was an incredible game. And I'm also reminding of uh, Demarcus Simons at Georgia State. I believe Cincinnati is who Georgia State got drawn against in that tournament. And I think he had the team's first 13 points. And at one yeah. point was slapping oh, yeah. the floor of the court. <laughs> Um, yeah. saying like, I'm like that, or you can't guard me. Um, it's true. Well, that's, what's great about March madness. It can turn people that don't watch basketball all year, um, yeah. directly to the TV. It sucks you in. It makes you think you, you can be an expert by doing the bracket picks. <laughs> and then like literally six games in, there's like a hundred games out of a million picks that people have perfect still. But yeah, a little closer to home where the three of us went to college, the 16th seed coming in which itself might have been a little controversial if you've been following seeding in the past, know a little bit about how the tournament works. Even the opposing coach from Gonzaga said that the Georgia State Panthers should be higher seed, but they took on the highly touted Gonzaga Bulldogs, and the odds were always against our boys, let's be honest. And only one team, like I just said, has ever beat a one seed as a 16 seed, so the odds are stacked against them. But for 20 minutes, if you watch this game, 
the Panthers from Atlanta looked the part like they belonged in this game. But really, unfortunately for them, they were hampered by a huge injury to forward Alil Insosime in the first half that just caused G-State to play undersized the rest of the game. Got in some, some foul trouble, and ultimately, Gonzaga went on like a 21-point run. That's just insurmountable as Georgia State, their dreams of dancing were cut short. But Brandon, you and I were texting through this whole thing, watching it back and forth. What are the feelings that these two, these two teams should have after watching this game? Um, I'll start, start with Georgia State. Um, what a crazy end to the season. Um, had a terrible start to the season. Ended the year on a 10-game winning streak. If you don't know, Sunbelt uh, Conference champions get an automatic bid. Nobody else from the conference gets a bid, um, unless you probably went undefeated or something crazy. But that doesn't happen in the Sunbelt. So they had to win it all to get in, um, and they did. And, of course, 16 seed, such a weird seeding. Not... You know, it's probably one of the best 16 seeds we've ever seen um, with, I think, four starting seniors. So it's going to be really sad to see them go because they were so good. And you saw that today for 20 to 30 minutes. They were just so good. Um, but when Sisseme went, went out, I just – I sort of knew, like, that is going to be he, – he's the only one that can body um, their forwards. So – uh, who are very, very good. It's, they're their two best players. And honestly, as far as I'm concerned, they're only players. Um, so Georgia State, great season, can be happy. A lot of young guys coming through. Hopefully they learned a lot through this whole process in this season and can take it into next year. Gonzaga, on the other hand, they're going to get bounced, man. They are not tough enough. <laughs> they cannot shoot well enough. Um, because there are other teams like Memphis, who they're going to play next, um, who are big physical fast and can match them on all fronts you know each game is its own beast when you get to the tournament right what is it you have to win six straight or something crazy mm -hmm. so that's hard enough as is in in like normal season but when you get to the tournament everybody's fighting <sighs> i don't know but i think they're going to get bounced if you have them winning it all and i could come back to eat my words but if you have them winning it all your brackets uh not lasting <laughs> it's busted. busted yeah i mean Gosh, it's so unfair. They had that one kid that's like seven foot one, two hundred pounds. He's lankier than Steven is. And if you know Steven, our boy is lanky. lanky. I mean, the kid just like once we had no forwards left, that's we got into foul trouble. They really just out like maneuvered us in the pain. And mm -hmm. yeah, going on that twenty to one zero run was just too much for the Panthers. Um, but hey, you know, going back in the tournament for the third time in about five years is a great look for the team. Um, that has even gone through head coaching changes and still has persisted and found their way to the tournament to the big dance. So, you know what? Go Panthers. <laughs> Go Thurs. <laughs> um, well, to a game that is not allowed to use their hands and can only use their feet, we go over to the Premier League. There was a big game that I told everybody I became a huge Liverpool fan because they were playing Arsenal, the Gooners, and this one actually ended up being a really good match. Um, Brandon, can you fill us in on the match? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, it was a very even game. I watched most of it. Um, and Arsenal looked really good, man. They looked the part. Um, but Jata and Firmino um, coming with a one-two punch, um, scoring in the 54th and 62nd minute um, and winning 2 nothing eventually. Um, but, yeah, you know, the game just really highlighted the gap between four and below and those top three teams, I think. But Arsenal, I think, is really on the brink of, of capturing that fourth spot. Um, 
I know Tottenham, you know, you guys are probably still holding out for it. Man, you still going to be in that mix too. So it's going to come down to the last week, I think. Um, but man, Arsenal looked really good. Steve, did you catch any of the highlights or anything from it? Yeah. Um, Arsenal in that first 45 looked really well. Um, the player that stood out to me was Martinelli, uh, put, Liverpool on skates. There was a play where he megs a defender, dribbles on the sideline, crosses the ball in. Somehow, doesn't ends up being a goal. Um, but no, Arsenal looks really good. Um, Liverpool just has that finishing product right now. Arsenal doesn't really. Lacazette's all right, but don't really have a striker. Um, kind of missing that finishing touch when the goal's not coming from one of their like five, sixteen-year-old wonder kids. It feels like. <laughs> Um, but no, Arsenal's got a couple of uh, tough games coming up. Still have that game in hand against Tottenham. They have to play. I also want to say they have a game against Chelsea. They play Villa um, at the weekend. They play Villa at the weekend, which they could drop points at. So honestly, um, Arsenal's looked great, but those games in hands can be a blessing and a curse. So coming out of that, you could be looking at Tottenham tied or above Arsenal um, coming up here shortly. Yeah, and their ex-striker, their ex-boyfriend, uh, Bamiyang, saved uh, Barcelona in Europa League against Galatasaray. So they're able to advance to the next round. So uh-huh. I'm sure Arsenal is missing that finishing touch, having him gone, but maybe not missing the drama from it. So uh, yeah. a little bit of both. Um, but today, if you were watching in Everton versus Newcastle, Allen got the straight red card in the 83rd minute, but chaos ensued after, didn't it, lads? Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty chaotic. Uh, I don't know if it was a red. I mean, he did. He does go in with his cleat up, but I don't know if it was forceful enough. And it, I don't know. The contact wasn't what I would consider a red card. Maybe it was just the endangering another player. I don't know, Steve, did you see that? I actually did not see the tackle, no. Oh. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's not a red for me, but it's also, yeah, it's a red. I don't, I don't really care, to be honest. Uh, but the goal at the end, um, great little passage of play for, for Everton and it will be scores in the 99th minute. What? <laughs> the 99th minute of 14 minutes of extra, extra added time. time. Yes. Oh man. Crazy. Just perfectly place it in the back of the net. I mean, the, the crowd goes crazy. Oh. Huge points for Everton. Frank Lampard, maybe if they lose this one, maybe he doesn't stay at Everton. I mean... I don't. Ooh. He might have saved his job. Honestly, yeah. Honestly, I mean, I'm gonna be. Of it. I'm gonna be the bad fan here and say uh, Everton should have lost that game. Um, they did not look good. Um, Newcastle dominated them in most of every aspect, except for the one I guess that really matters is the goal. Um, but I think if Everton was at Newcastle or anywhere else, they would have lost that game for sure. Uh, but they have great fans, like I was mentioning in the last podcast. Um, they were going to get the support that they needed, and they did. Um, and, yeah, they get the result. They leave Goodison Park with three points. And maybe that's something for them to build off of. I I don't know. That's the thing that's the craziest to me is you're hearing all these different pundits or people talking about Everton, and they talk about Goodison Park literally being the biggest deal in this relegation fight of playing the biggest role. It's not Lampard. It's not the players. It's their horrible away record, and can they get anything at home? Um, and again, yeah, like I, I mean, and getting Calvert Lewin back too. I'll say to that goal, he has a, like a death touch to set up a Wobi for that finish. Um, so maybe they get it going. Um, 
But I will say when I was watching the highlights to that game, when that goal went in, I've never heard any crowd louder in my life um, through a screen, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So we'll see if it's uh, if it's enough for them to keep up. Yeah, I mean, they went insane. They went wild. And we're still, I mean, eight games, nine games left. So there's so much that can still happen in this race. I mean, looking at the bottom three, Watford, Norwich, and who's the third? Burnley. Burnley. Still so much that can happen. Burnley, like you keep talking about, Brandon, they're the ones that – know how to find points they can just draw out a result find that fight for it um but anything can happen so we're really really excited to watch the rest of this season as it just continues to get down to crunch time the fight for relegation the fight for the four spot and the champion like the one and two that race between manchester city and liverpool is only getting tighter now it's going to be so good so you guys mm-hmm. need to make sure you're staying tuned in here so we can give you guys highlights and updates from all those games as we come down the stretch here in the Premier League. Um, but in the Champions League, UEFA Champions League, that is, um, we talked a little bit about it the other day, um, kind, of, kind of previewing it, but as things have happened, Juventus have faltered against Villarreal, a team very similar <laughs> to the past four teams that they've been knocked out of the tournament. Steven, that's a reference to Dracula because of who? Oh my God, Unai Emery, there we go. <laughs> Put the blank on Unai Emery, he is Dracula, it's known. Um, anyway, so the past four years, teams that have knocked out Juventus, their chairman, Andre Agnelli, has reportedly deemed those teams not glamorous enough for his cash cow fever dream of a league, the European European Super League. But once again, they falter. They gave up two penalties late in the game and conceded an open header from a corner that put the old lady out of Champions League misery. And much like the other counterparts, Villarreal, along with Benfica, and uh, their victory over Ajax sees two teams that I think we'd safely say no one saw going this far in the tournament, right? Yeah, no, not a shot. Uh, Benfica's game against Ajax was wild. I think they had like a shot or two on goal, um, but it's all they needed, knocking them out. And then Villarreal with Juventus is just, you know, don't, don't you don't you go up against Dracula? Uh, he's he knows that knockout football, European competition stuff. So no one saw any of these teams uh, making it this far. Yeah, I think we know Villarreal is a great team, especially with a great coach. And I sort of touched on it last week. But man, you, you just had a feeling Juventus might just have a little bit more, and, and it was a really good game. I will say it's not like one team looked like they were going to win over the other. But Villarreal had enough, man, to knock Juventus out. And, you know, maybe Juventus can go have a European Super League by themselves where they just play their first team and second team with each other and make their own money or something. Because Tottenham would be in on that. Don't and worry. PSG. PSG oh might be there, too, because uh, PSG's out of it now. And uh, Sorry, that's me being a little salty. But <laughs> Well, we know the Real Madrid president will find any way into it, even if he has to leave Champions League, I'm sure. He's... Oh my gosh, I hate a terrible person. Okay. (laughs) Anyways, yes, I need more money so I can build a stadium for four billion dollars, and it's just him and Barcelona people just infuriate me. Uh, Well, on the other side of the the continent, uh, Diego Simeone does it again, tosses Man U to the side to advance to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. So once again, no Ronaldo, no Messi able to find the later stages of the Champions League and no trophies for their cabinets. Oh, uh, What was y'all's reaction to seeing Simeone do it once again in England? 
I mean, it's classic. I think you said it last week. Uh, you know, he's there to be the villain. He's there to be the bad guy, and he loves it. I mean, you saw him running off the field. I don't know if he shook hands and then ran off, but he's getting pelted with, like, bottles <laughs> yeah. and stuff right off the field. But he loves that. And he sets up his team to do that. Like, his team has such an identity. You know they're trying to win one nothing every single game. Like, that's just I feel like it's just how they do things. I've seen it so many times. And they did it again, man. <laughs> they did it again. So great. Uh, at Manchester United. Um, just crazy. No Ronaldo, no Messi, no Man U, no PSG, no Juventus. Wow, it's good for good for them. Good for Atletico. Yeah, I'll say this. Um, yeah, Ronaldo wasn't really existent in that game. Um, you saw a lot of frustration with him, kind of realizing the team he's on. I feel like it like finally hit him, <laughs> asking for balls to be in certain areas of the pitch that the players just couldn't deliver to him. Uh, but yeah, no, he wasn't really existing. I think one point in the game, um, he actually ran into Harry Maguire's back and like almost like knocked a tooth out on a corner kick and wasn't able to get to the. It was just disjointed. And, uh, but no, it's classic Simeone. Um, English media, of course, is going to criticize the way Atletico play and their style. But they're going to be doing it from the couch now that uh, Simeone's on to the next round. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was a little sad that this performance didn't come from Man U on Saturday. Tottenham could have really used that over the weekend, but hey, you know, it's fine. It's fine. It does feel good to see Simeone do it again as the villain, once again, unseating an English team later in the tournament. But yeah, like we said, this is a different quarterfinals of the Champions League. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. I mean, there's so much that can mm-hmm. still happen. Um, a lot of great games yet to play. We'll see what the draw looks like. I assume coming up, we'll see what the matchups end up being, but um Man, Champions League is just the best, isn't it? Um, it's great. Now, a different Champions League, maybe one a little more foreign to people, um, but this takes place on the North and Central American continent, and I only caught a little bit of the games. I watched a lot of the Montreal Cruz Azul game. That one ended in a 1-1 draw, but saw Montreal slide out of the competition. Uh, which one of you two wants to take it and give us a rundown of what happened in the CONCACAF Champions League? Me? Okay. Yeah, you're up. <laughs> <laughs> so Cruz Azul, like I said, uh, they're just better than Montreal, I think. They go through. Um, Sounders, they they do what we thought all MLS teams um, in their position would have done. You know, and they, they, they just look like the best team going forward. They end up winning um, the Series 4-1 on aggregate against Lyon. NYCFC should have coasted, like I said, but in the end they tie on aggregate 5-5 to Comunicaciones, which I didn't watch the game, but that is just terrible. I mean, Comunicaciones is just not NYCFC, man. Like, they're just, there's levels, right? And when you're up, what was it, 3 nothing? Mm-hmm. They, they were up 3 nothing from the first I think maybe leg. one goal. Oh. Comunicaciones had one goal. 3 one yeah, like you gotta put it away. No matter where you're playing, who you're playing, you gotta put the you gotta put it away. And they didn't necessarily. <laughs> and there's a lot of ways. I think Castiano's had a nasty free kick goal. Did you see that? Yeah, I'll yeah, say this: that that free kick goal was absolutely insane. And even Comunicaciones had two banger goals against Sean Johnson where I think he just stood in place. Um, <laughs> I feel like there was like three goals that game from at least 30 yards out. That's awesome. 
So a crazy game in the CONCACAF Champions League. Um, but NYCFC does go through because they have the away goal advantage. So very slimly, you know, they, they slip on through. Um, but an absolute shocker. Um, Pumas dominate a very scared-looking New England revolution um, and take it to penalties, which I guess there's no extra time. I didn't know that. Um, if you're tied after regular time in the Champions League, it just goes straight to penalties. I didn't know that, so that was cool. Um, and Pumas wins dramatically in penalties, which we all like, right? We don't have any skin in the game, so it's just fun to watch. Yeah. Um, but this will be my last little point on this. Bruce Arena has been around soccer for way too long to let a team of the quality of New England give up a three uh, nothing lead in a in a competition. So um, it's all on him for me. I, I I don't know how you guys feel, but that is just that's embarrassing for Bruce Arena. That's embarrassing for New England. Uh, but I think it really comes back to the to the coaches. Well, yeah, I mean, it just shows a team that won the Supporter Shield last season. They should be, you know, one, you want the MLS to show up well. Like, when you're going abroad, when you're playing teams that you want to have all your MLS teams perform well, and obviously New England was just too timid. Um, maybe they're just kind of a shell of themselves from last season. Uh, maybe not find the same form. So, yeah, it is a bit embarrassing. Um, Bruce Serena, like you said, he should have handled this better, managed the game well, and they didn't do that in the end, and now they're out of the tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say uh, I was watching these games and I was saying to myself, I'm like, man, MLS just got CONCACAFed hard. Like, like all of these coming on the away legs, NYCFC getting CONCACAFed, yet still being able to go through. And yeah, it's just the lack of experience. And You think, you know, going into these second legs, you could have had an all MLS um, semifinal. And at the end of it, you'd think that's crazy <laughs> how poor uh, these teams showed up. Seattle really only being the the tried and true um, scoring nine goals in their past like five games, only allowing one. Um, they look good. <laughs> and Rudy Diaz not even being a part of that team as well. Something I want to note in Freddie Montero showing up three goals in four games in the CCL is random. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so we got NYCFC versus uh, New York in the semifinal. So I'm curious how that's going to turn out. Yeah, very unfortunate that they weren't on opposite ends of the draw. That would have been nice so we could have an all-MLS final. But, hey, now we're keeping it fair, and we'll see if we can truly beat you know one of these Mexican teams and um, see what happens in the Champions League final. Um, but today, if you are paying any attention to the U.S. men's national team, Greg is at the wheel, Greg Berhalter, that is. And he's coming out with his <laughs> final March U.S. men's national team World Cup qualifying roster, and we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive on this. Um, Brandon, you are going to get us started with some notes, things that we need to know about this. Um, start giving us a rundown and some thoughts that we need to be uh, keeping an eye on. Yeah, so, I mean, I'll just start with the goalkeepers because I feel like that's the easiest place to start. Um, Ethan Horvath is back in the team finally. Um, so is Zach Steffen, I guess. Zach Steffen's been on the bench in a couple of the Man City games because he's come back from injury, but I guess he's healthy enough to play so maybe we'll see him um if not ethan horvath will play and then sean johnson's on the roster from um nycfc right um there's an injury to what's what's our other keeper matt turner 
Matt Turner, thank you. So that's why he's not in. Um, but yeah, going in, this is, this is our last window. I think the three goalkeepers I'd like to have going into the World Cup, knock on wood, we make it, are Ethan Horvath, Zach Steffen, and uh, Matt Turner. So I don't know. How do you feel about that, Steve? Yeah, um, the injury to Matt Turner is unfortunate. Um, I will say Sean Johnson did not look good in that communication on his game. Um, and Zach Steffen's a question mark right now. So between Johnson and Horvath, I'd give it to Horvath. Um, just so, yeah, a lot of questions if we go for it first game in Mexico and all these different things. But, yeah, I mean, our goalkeepers are one of the – feel really confident of the Steffen, Horvath, and uh, Matt Turner. Um, so hopefully – Stefan's able to go out there, start, get some confidence behind it, uh, behind the boys. But it's a big question mark going into this World Cup qualifying. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then I guess we'll, we'll just move on to the defenders. Um, you'll see Serginho Dest is in there, but he did get hurt today, I believe. Might have, was it today or yesterday? Uh, what, it might have been today. What year um, was it? <laughs> I don't COVID, man. Um but Ooh, you're telling me. So he is not going to be on the roster anymore. So there's now a big question mark around who is Greg going to bring in. Now your guess is as good as mine. He could bring a defender in. He could bring a. Who knows, man? This this guy. No, he's not a fraud, but he's just like. <laughs> he's just like a like. There's just you never know what he's going to do, and it just it annoys me. I think the two that I would know either George Bello. For Arminia, um, or Joe Scally from Mock and Gladback. Scally probably gets a nod for me. I mean, he's been playing for them consistently in a top five league in the world. I mean, it, I, I think it's got to be him. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I'll say I think I might differ from you. I think uh, Burhalter has a, a bias with Bello um, and made some – consistent team time over the summer and the various international tournaments the U.S. was a part of, but I think it should be Scally. Um, I don't think Scally's gotten a fair shake um, by Burhalter through this whole kind of process. And so not for better reasons going with Bello, but actually for worse reasons for um, Greg Burhalter uh, just showing that kind of that, that little bias that he does here and there for MLS players, even though Bello's now over abroad. Yeah. We just got to get our tinfoil hats on and keep speculating about what we really think knows, about man. Greg Berhalter. <laughs> he probably doesn't know. We don't know. So who knows? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, no. And then just fo following up with the defenders, I mean, you have Sands back in the team, which I don't necessarily mind, but he hasn't been playing a lot. You know, he's like a cup. He's on the, their cup roster um, at Rangers. He doesn't like play any of the, the Europa League games. Um, he doesn't play a lot of their league games. It's like, how did he make the roster? Um, Greg was saying he can play as a defensive mid as well as cover as for center back. So I don't know if he's going to try to change formations. I don't know what's going to happen. So that was an interesting one. Um, Aaron Long, who I don't hate. It's like, okay, weird. <laughs> and then Eric Palmer Brown, who... I'm fine with that. He's actually playing in, in France, mm -hmm. like, consistently. So that's cool with me, too. But, like, what about John Brooks? 
Hello. Ding, ding, ding. Hello. <laughs> I mean, I just don't get it, dude. I don't understand. And, and it, I don't know if you saw the interview with him today, like explaining his picks. It's just a bunch of BS. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. He sounds like an idiot, man. He sounds like an idiot when he speaks. It makes you so upset. Yeah, something I'll go. I mean, that's the big elephant in the room as far as the defenders is John Brooks. It has been John Brooks over this qualifying period. Um, again, you brought up the thing with James Sands, not playing a single minute in his past nine league games. Finds himself in flying form compared to John Brooks, starting every single day, day in, day out, playing well in this Wolfsburg side. It just, it really doesn't make sense at all on that defender side of things. That's the big thing. Um, the Dest injury is unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's John Brooks story is just like growing more and more. And to me, I'm starting to think of all these different conspiracy theories of what happened. Tim like that, I, I know what, what happened here with, uh, John Brooks and Burrhalter. Um, yeah, you're going into the most crucial window of this qualification with some young center backs and some center backs that have come off injury that haven't been in this qualification at all in Aaron Long. Um, so really the only one of these defenders that I feel solid about MLS defender of the year, like my uh, good friend Cole Carter likes to point out to me is Walker Zimmerman. So a lot of question marks, John Brooks drama and uh, Greg Berhalter uh, masterpiece. Yeah. And before, Cole, you go to the next one, I just want to say this. In the interview, Greg talks about how he wants, he's been analyzing John Brooks's play and he wants him to play a certain way when he's <laughs> at Wolfsburg. And like, he's not seeing certain things in his club play that doesn't get him called to the roster. But James Sands isn't playing at all and gets called up. <laughs> zero <laughs> minutes and zero minutes in nine league games. Like, nine of the most make recent it make sense. games in a row. Bro, yeah. make it make sense. I, I, it's beyond me. And a couple other things. Watch the interview later. If you haven't watched it, I think it's only like a 20-minute interview. It's basically him talking about this roster. It's, it's just embarrassing sometimes. Sorry. Sorry, Cole. Do you concede the floor, sir? <laughs> yes, you have it. Take, <laughs> take the, ma- the talking stick. <laughs> No, I really, it's, I mean, I don't think we're in a dire situation per se. I think we're still in decent standing within the octagonal. Like the U.S. I don't think is having to like fight like, you know, tooth and nail for their spot in World Cup qualifying. So, I mean, obviously you're going to miss Weston McKinney. That's the biggest omission, obviously, and that's due to injury. It's not due to selection. So this team was going to look different no matter what without him. So you had to find someone to replace him with. And I guess, Maybe that is where you see a different defender come in, but it's still like you guys are saying. It doesn't explain the John Brooks situation. But, I mean, we'll probably honestly see a similar lineup, I'm going to guess, to what we threw out in January. Um, those same teams that played against Canada um, and what we saw in Columbus. So I feel okay. And we have the huge game. And the game against Mexico is it, right? I mean, that's going to be the biggest game. So you want to have the strongest lineup. And, I guess if we're going to talk about it, do you guys think we have a good enough lineup to beat Mexico? That's the question, isn't it? So do we, can we beat Mexico? Yeah, we can beat them. Yes. Um, the way Greg talks about it is like, 
the people we call in for these call-ups is like some analyzed team that we think is going to be able to go out there and put in the performance that we expect to win. It's like, bro, just call up the best players we have and make them and put a team together and make those, those players win. Don't, don't call in Jesus Ferreira. Don't (laughs) stop that. Like call in our best players. I could rant. I could rant about it. Sorry, Steve. No, you're good. I think that's the thing though. It's like, it's not even the Jesus Ferreira thing. It's, Calling in Jesus Ferreira and making him play as a nine, which isn't his natural position, uh, as opposed to up in the midfield. And so there's a lot of different question marks there. But to the original thing of if we can beat Mexico, um, I think the obvious answer, given the recent history, is the resounding yes. Um, but then you have to take into part of CONCACAF Nations League and the Gold Cup. However, this is a completely different animal and honestly a different roster right now-ish, a, a different feel um everything's more dire you still have that hangover from the last world cup qualification on your back um and then the questions of striker um bringing jordan peafock in um no zardas uh no has been scoring man. i know peafock's been scoring for fun in Swiss- in switzerland um young boys yeah but still not um not really have been given the chances during this qualification period um, so really only him and Ricardo Pepe are the true number nines on this roster and Ricardo Pepe, the only one actually adding anything, um, during this qualification period, um, at all, I think with like two goals in the early on who can't buy minutes in Osberg right now. So you're finding a lot of players, um, yeah, either out of form or actually in form being left off the roster, um, but real quick note, then I'll stop talking about my boys. The U.S. national team is Christian Pulisic, I think, is going to tear it up this window. He's coming in the best form of his U.S. Men's national team career, like of his life in professional soccer, coming into the U.S. Men's national team. Um, scoring goals for fun at Chelsea, completely healthy. Um, hope it stays that way by the end of the window. So I think he's going to play some authority and some, and some big swag to, to get – these question marks off of the national team fans' minds. You know, Dose Cero is a huge scoreline that we love to see, but it would just be so cool to see a Christian Pulisic hat trick in the Azteca, <laughs> silencing any crowd that might be there. That would feel really good. And putting us on top um, in the World Cup qualifying would just be such a mm, icing cherry on top. Uh, but we'll move on for the men's national team. I'm sure mm. we'll have so much to discuss in the next couple months. Dang Getting it. ready for the World Cup. I mean, hey, if y'all want to rant, I mean, this is the forum to do it, and this is the place to catch up on all that. So <laughs> we'll talk more about the men's national team, but we do want to kind of wrap things up. We'll get to our last segment that you guys know well, predicting the games for MLS over the weekend. We're calling it the MLS Fast Five. Mm. Boys, let's jump into it. We have our first matchup. Red Bulls at home versus Colorado. Steve, give me that quick fire prediction, mate. Uh, Red. Are we doing scores too, or just just scores the, too? I'll do Red Bulls. Red Bulls three one. Mm. Red Bulls two nothing. I'm taking Colorado one nil on the road. Put it in the bag. Uh, matchup number two: Austin versus Seattle. Seattle looking really hot right now. We just talked about them in the Champions yeah. League. At Austin though, so they're on the road. What back was that gonna look like? I'm gonna say Austin, Texas, because Seattle with CONCACAF. I'm superstitious. These CONCACAF teams aren't doing well. Their first game's back in. 
Austin has momentum. It's at home. I think they're going to get back on the scoring sheet. So I'm going to go with a 4-2 to two classic MLS insane game. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, no, I think so Seattle won last week. They won in the middle of the week with CONCACAF. Um, and I think they will – I want to say a draw so badly, but that I feel like it's just a cop-out. Um I'll say Seattle wins 2-1. I'll take the cop out. I think this one will be a stinker. I'm calling it 0-0. Neither teams can find a breakthrough. Seattle, Seattle coming from the hangover in Champions League. Austin not being able to compete with that team. Despite the hangover, I think 0-0. Who knows? That's mm-hmm. my prediction. That's why we're here. Uh, game number three, NYCFC coming up against Philadelphia Union. Steven, what do you got? Oh my god! I don't know. Um, I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out if NYCFC is is good or bad. <laughs> no, I'll go. I'll go to Philadelphia. I'll go to Philadelphia one zero. Is it at New York? It's in New York at okay. If they're playing on a baseball field, known as Yankee Stadium. If they're playing on a baseball field, then there's no way I can't choose them because that's just a insane advantage so uh nycfc uh one nothing i would love to know the head-to-head if philadelphia has ever won there before um i'm gonna go again another draw two two uh philadelphia getting it done Ooh. i think it's not impossible to get a result there and they have a good enough team where they can get that result nyc again one of those champions league teams exerting themselves too much in the midweek I don't think they can they can do it again on the weekend, but our fourth matchup is Real Salt Lake taking on the former Western Conference. No, they weren't. They didn't finish top. My bad. Nashville not that good last season. They will this year. That's what they might do. <laughs> um, this one, I think Nashville go in take a two zero win over Real Salt Lake. Ooh, uh, I think Real Salt Lake is pretty good this year. Uh, it's at Real Salt Lake. I one nothing Nashville. I go two um, one Real Salt Lake. Hasn't lost yet in MLS. I think they're gonna take down Nashville. And I was looking up other matchups for the weekends. Maybe I'm a little bit biased. I couldn't really find any other good matchups, so I threw in our homeboys, Atlanta at home against bottom dwellers Montreal, who also. In the midweek, we're in Champions League, and they did not look great. I think Atlanta, if they can be healthy, if they put all their starters out, I think Atlanta can get this one a 3-0 victory, get a big win, get the crowd hyped in Atlanta. Brandon? Uh, If they play like they did last weekend, I think Atlanta loses um, because Montreal would definitely be looking to get their energy right going into the rest of the season but i hate choosing against atlanta (laughs) Um, someone has to do it eventually we haven't tied this year so i will say a 2-2 draw i'm going with cole i think montreal's bad right now (laughs) negative six goal differential over three this year so i'm saying atlanta 3-0 that's a good pick that's a really good pick. Hey, but we all had different opinions, and we had some different ones that were kind of out there. That's our MLS Fast Five that 
hopefully you guys enjoy getting to hear our predictions and we sort of keep tracks, keep score over the couple of weeks that we've been doing it. Um, but yeah, guys, everyone that's been listening, this has been another episode of the Bad Fan Podcast. You've I've been watching us on YouTube, which hello, or you've been listening to us on Spotify. And we really appreciate you guys making it this far in. Um, this has been something that's been fun for us. We're continuing to enjoy making content for you guys. Um, we've been posting some reels on Instagram, which we hope you guys enjoy and get a little bit of a laugh out of, especially this past one with NYCFC's little bitty poster that we made fun of. Little it's baby. Just a joke. <laughs> little baby poster. Um, but yeah, we really hope you guys continue to engage. If you've made this far and you haven't subscribed to the channel or found us on Instagram, we really hope that you guys subscribe and follow us for more content that we can bring to you. And if you've been finding us on Spotify, we're really glad that you're listening along. Um, but this is the end of episode seven of our series of the Bad Game Podcast. Um, I've been your host, Cole Carter. He's been Stephen Curl. He's been Brandon Pacenick. And once again, we really appreciate you guys. We hope you stay well. Enjoy March Madness. Enjoy all the soccer. And keep up to date with all the deadline, not deadline, the offseason deals in baseball and NFL. And until next time, we'll see you then.